what I loved about the project is, you know, marriage is such a traditional patriarchal institution and she just completely disassembles that and then reappropriates that symbol as a tool for her, which I just like love as a concept. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Making a Women in Film, a podcast where we sit down with women working across the film and TV industry to talk all about their journeys, experiences, advice and the importance of diversity in front and behind the camera. I'm your host Vita and today I'm joined by no other than Avery Please, who is the costume designer most notably known for the amazing movie Ready or Not. Uh, this is a horror comedy and if you haven't seen the movie already, um, we don't go in-depth spoilers here at all it's very kind of surface level and we're just talking about the way she used costume as a tool for storytelling um so no in-depth spoilers but if you'd rather go into the movie blind and you haven't seen it yet uh obviously just skip this episode and come back to it after you've seen it and i'm sure it'll also give you another appreciation of the movie if you're listening afterwards but yeah i really hope you guys enjoyed this we're talking not only about this movie but about costume designing in general and all of the really interesting lessons uh, she's learned from her years of work Uh, and I really hope you guys just take it in soak it in and adapt it into your own ways of storytelling all right let's just get into it and I am here with Avery Avery how are you doing good how are you thanks for having me I am so excited to be with you today. And so for people who aren't already familiar with who you are and what you do, could you just briefly introduce yourself to the people listening? Yeah, uh, my name is Avery Pluis, and I am based in Toronto. I'm a costume designer. Um, I think the work I'm most known for is probably uh, Ready or Not. I've also designed Sex Life, uh, The Craft Legacy. I just did 8-Bit Christmas, which will come out on HBO Max later this year. It's a Christmas movie. Um, what else have I done? Oh, Gene of the Joneses and Everything Everything. I think that's, oh, and JT Leroy. Those are kind of my, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. So, so you obviously have a great variation in genres and design, which is pretty interesting. But I, but I want to dig back a bit before we get into all of that and ask, like, when did all of this begin for you? The fashion, the costume design, bringing that into filmmaking, like, were you like a young fashionista? 110%, yeah. Uh, it's funny, my mom always jokes that when, as soon as I could talk, I was very uh, vocal about what I would and wouldn't wear and very stubborn. Um, and you know, my mom's an artist, my dad's a packaging designer. I kind of grew up in the design and arts world and going to art galleries. And, um, there was this incredible bookstore in Toronto growing up, um, that closed a couple years ago called the David Mervish bookstore. And it was an art bookstore. And, um, my mom would take me there all the time. And every year, I think since I was about six, I got, I would get a, a Christmas book from there. And when I was six, she, um, we would go there, I think kind of like once a month. And I became obsessed with this book. It was called Mozart of the Opera. I think I still have it somewhere. It's probably in storage, but I like insisted that I needed this book. And it's very odd because there aren't really a lot of pictures in it. And so you'd think for like a six-year-old to become fascinated by this book, Anyways, I, I've always been really interested in sort of theatrics and um, film and uh, we lived in a neighbor, a pretty residential neighborhood, but there was a vintage movie store kind of at the top of our street. Um, And so my mom would take me there and I would watch lots of um, vintage movies, lots of sort of Marilyn Monroe, um, I, I was very interested in glamour and sort of old Hollywood from a very young age. And also um, uh, there's a documentary about Isaac Mizrahi called Unzipped. And I was insisting on my mom renting it so much that she bought the VHS. Um, so that's kind of where it all started. Yeah. So it's been kind of ingrained and it, it's sort of, 
so innate within me. It's beyond, um, you know, it's, it's not something I kind of fell into. It's kind of just like, I think within me in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think especially for children, clothing can be such a simple way of starting an exploration of like your self-expression um, in a time where you don't necessarily have too much choice about anything else. And of course, some people don't really get to decide what they wear either. Um, but I know like for me, having my faces of just wearing princess dresses and Ariel fishtails and everything like that was so important, I think, for the development of my personality and creativity. For sure. And I was always very, um, I'd get very into certain things and um, you know, I, I was a Snow White and a Jasmine gal. Um, <laughs> when I came to Disney princesses, I've kind of always gone kind of like off the beaten path in terms of what the kids around me were into. Um, my school was more Cinderella's, but I was more of a Jasmine gal. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's always been, it's always been a language for me. And I think it's just now translated into my career. So when did you like decide that this was something you wanted to do, that you wanted to find these clothes and design these different patterns and clothing? Well, I think when I got to high school, I realized that that's like, I wanted my career to be fashion. Um, and I kind of always felt like a misfit growing up. And then I went to this amazing performing arts high school in Toronto that had a visual arts program. So I was a visual arts major there, but they had um, plays um, that I would, I designed costumes for. They had a fashion show. So I designed a collection for each fashion show for um, in grade 11 and 12. Um, and then I, I really was, it was a time that Galliano and McQueen were kind of at their their height um, in terms of like ultra ultra fame, and I was really like I really wanted to be the next them. And I think the thing that's really interesting that I sort of realized the more that I do this is that in a lot of ways they're they well McQueen was and Galliano is they're both costume designers like they that. The thing that's so interesting about their work that really set them apart at the time and still now is each collection really tells a story. There's a story behind it. And I think that that's what I was really interested in, but just didn't have the knowledge that costume design was like a career. Like I kind of, I kind of thought there was like, cause sex in the, sex in the city was also really big at the time. And so I thought that like Patricia Fields was a stylist I didn't realize that she was actually a costume designer and then I thought costume designers only did like kind of period films that I was not really particularly interested in I didn't realize that there was like a connection so I was kind of pursuing once I graduated high school I moved to New York and I interned with Betsy Johnson and I was pursuing fashion design like that's what I wanted to do um but there was a recession sort of during that time that was really um, kind of damning and in, in particularly in North America that made uh, the fashion industry not want to sort of give anyone who needed a visa from out of country a chance. Um, yeah, so I moved back to Toronto and um, was working at Betsy Johnson at the store there because I was sort of tight within the company and our uh we had a woman who did alterations carmel and she would come in and she also worked as a seamstress in costume and we would talk all the time and she kept suggesting that i try it and i was kind of at the point where i was just open to doing anything because nothing it felt like nothing was working and i, I kind of reached the point of like you just need to be open to any opportunity um and so I started pursuing it and I became a permit within the uh, the union here in Toronto. And I had designed a short film uh, when I was 19. This is around when I was 21. I had a little bit of experience, but not a ton, but I think because I had fashion experience, it translated. And so I, um, 
I got into the union and I started working on suits was my first like big job um, as a costume buyer. And then it kind of snowballed from there. My uncle's actually a scenic painter in the same union as me. So he kind of really helped me um, navigate the industry and understand it, which I realize now is such a privilege because it's so daunting when you first start. That was a huge leg up. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, what was it like working on such a big production? Because, I mean, Suits was huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was season two that I started. So it was like big. but it wasn't Right. Like mm, yeah, yeah, yet. that's true. Um, but it was it was really interesting and it really opened my eyes. And that's when I realized I wanted to be a costume designer. I was working really close with Jolie, the designer, Jolie Andreata. Um. And I had all these sort of like fashion relationships from having lived in New York. And so I kind of realized that like my love of designer fashion and costume design could intersect. It wasn't um, these two very separate things. There There was a place for my love of fashion in film. And what I loved and still love about the industry is telling a story with clothes and the narrative and um, collaborating with other people. Like fashion is so sort of singular in that regard. Whereas what I love about costume is you're working with the cinematographer, the director, the producers um, and different departments that come together. And so I really liked that. So yeah, it was it was definitely eye-opening and it was funny when I stopped working on suits, working on other productions <laughs> and realizing that like yeah, oh my god, you don't yeah. have that massive budget for clothes on every project. It's like, oh, I actually have to pay attention to what we're spending because you know, we would we would go into certain stores and it was just like uh we just had so much money to spend it was amazing oh god yeah I mean I think it was like a running joke about these thousand dollar dresses you know so that must have been yeah wild but what do you think like obviously there's so much collaboration going into it from the writing to the lighting to the hair and makeup what is it like about Mm -hmm. the designing process that really pulls you in is it the immortality of it what 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 is it to you I think what it actually is for me is, and it this is what f- happens a lot, or pretty much in every fitting, is the character comes to life in the clothes. And it's the first, like, you meet the character based on what they're wearing before they speak. And so it's a very important tool for storytelling um, that a lot of people don't realize. And I think, sadly, because they consider it women's work, it's dismissed a bit, but um, I love when I'm working on a project and I have hashed out a character and I'm shopping and I'm like, oh, that's so Billy or that's so great. Like, you know, you've, you've decided who that person is with the director and the actor, and then you start to see things out in the real world and assign them to people as if they're a real person and I, I always find that very exciting no yeah that is just quite incredible and as you said just such an underrated tool for storytelling and you know I think it is probably something to do with the fact that costume designing and hair and makeup is one of the few uh, uh, one of the few departments where it is yeah. majority women and so it's kind of like oh it's just pants you know oh, I could find those pants but it's not like that you know it's so much more difficult and has such an influence on the way we view the characters as you said it's the first impression mm-hmm. and so after this how did you then work your way up what's your timeline like here when I first got into the industry I took this course there's an organization in Toronto called CAFT CAD um, and they do these amazing courses there's one called Costume 101 which I'd taken and um, there's a designer in Toronto named Alex Cavanaugh and she had taught part of the course and at the end of it she said you know a great way to meet people is to do short films I'm actually designing one soon if anyone is interested um, here's my email. And so I, I was 
very eager and just wanted to meet anyone and everyone and do anything I could to kind of advance my career. And so I emailed Alex and she was doing a short film, like she'd said, and I was one of the few people that actually followed up and reached out. And so I went and did that with her and I met um, Stella McGee, who did, I did Gina the Joneses and everything, everything with on the set of that project. And then, but nothing happened uh, with her for a couple of years. It's the thing that people don't realize about the film industry is most directors and um, producers who are working towards something, it, it all it always seems like their success is overnight, but there are many years of them uh, having projects in development. So that was kind of on the back burner. And then on Suits, I, um, I wanted to be doing stuff in my spare time, which I really didn't have much of, but I have a friend named Erica Lobko, who's a production designer in Toronto. And she was producing at the time as well, commercials and music videos. And so I emailed her and I was like, we went to high school together. Um, I forget what her major was. Oh, she was a dance major, uh, funnily. Yeah. Um, it's funny, a lot of the people I went to high school with are now all in the film industry. But um, so I emailed her and I was like, hey, like, I will do anything. I don't care what the budget is. I'll figure it out. Like, if you need a costume designer, let me know. Like a week later, she had something for me. And so on the weekends, I was doing music video after music video after short film. And so I just sort of kept meeting other people who are up and coming, but in different positions, which I think is the best kind of way to advance your career is not necessarily to hang out with other costume designers, um, but to hang out with people who are up and coming producers or directors production designers, um, makeup artists, because this industry is so word of mouth. And if you have good friends who kind of believe in your work and see your strengths, they'll bring you up with them. Um, and that's sort of what happened there. So, and then eventually Stella got the green light for Jean of the Joneses. So I designed that. Um, but I was still costume buying at the time within uh, my union for other big designers. Um, and so I was kind of doing both. And I think, you know, I, when the uh, pandemic hit, I realized that I hadn't really taken a vacation in 10 years or time off. Like I, yeah, um, which it was really hard for me. I went from having, I think I went on one vacation over a 10 year period, which is just kind of, <laughs> In hindsight is like, and I, I joke that I missed my 20s because I, I really kind of did. <laughs> um, but it, I think it paid off and now I'm enjoying my 30s and, you know, uh, I work to get to where I am and I'm proud of where I am, but it, I definitely sacrificed a bit of a social life. Like I went out and I, I did stuff with friends, but it, not to the same degree that most people in their 20s you um so yeah mm -hmm. I mean yeah that is definitely how it goes for a lot of people yeah. and you know especially when you're starting out you get so swallowed up in it that you don't even realize that how busy you are because you are constantly busy it's like you don't even have the time to think about it well and it's one of those things where because it's such a freelance industry you don't want to say no to things because you don't know when the next project will be. It's a little different now because there's such a demand for work. Like I'm not, I'm also more established, so I'm not so worried, but it, there's like, it's like this hamster wheel of feeling like you constantly need to work. And um, I definitely in hindsight, don't think it's probably healthy having worked all through my twenties on weekends too, like doing side projects. But at the same time, I don't think I would be where I am today if I hadn't done it. So I don't regret it. Mm, right. So let's just talk about Ready or Not. Um, for people who haven't seen it, please go do it. Uh, we will be talking a bit about the spoilers because we're talking very much about the storytelling, uh, how, how that happened throughout the costume designing. But uh, Ready or Not is a 2019 film. It's directed by Matt Petit... 
Bettinelli <laughs> Open and Tyler Gillette, uh, who are part of the Radio Silence Filmmaking Collective. It was written by Guy Busick and R. Christopher Murphy and stars Samara Weaving in the lead role as the bride who is marrying into this very wealthy family. Uh, and everything, you know, is happy, it's good, it's the wedding day. And then comes the initiation ceremony into this very, very strange family. And it basically ends up with her having to play this game uh, and being hunted for her life. It is a dark horror thriller comedy. Um, if you are not into blood and gore, probably skip it. Um, but it is a phenomenal movie. So underrated. So fun. Um, and yeah. Um, but how did you, uh, Aver, how did you first get involved with this project? Um, oh gosh, I had been pitched for it by my, pre like, my previous agent, um, I think it was in, like, May of the year we shot it, I think it was 2018 when we shot it, or maybe it was 2019, no, it would have been either or, tells you what a blur the past few years have been. In May of whatever year we filmed it, I had met with Radio Silence. Then I heard nothing, Radio Silence. Uh, uh, and then in September, I got the call that they wanted me to do it. And I was like, oh, okay. How much did you know about the project at that stage? I, like, I knew a fair amount. I knew, like, I had the whole script. It, okay. um, I'd done mood mm. boards. Um, I didn't know who was cast in it yet, um, but it was, it was very low budget. And a lot of people in the city didn't want to touch it because it's supposed to be this ultra wealthy family, but they, the production didn't have a lot of money, but, and it was also, I think kind of the chatter around the project in the city was like, a lot of people thought it was going to be like, um, they didn't think it was going to turn out well because there was no money. The script was, one of those things where it was really hard to tell if it was going to be good or not. Like it was either going to be really campy or uh, amazing, but I love camp. So I was kind of like, I'm like, I have since I was little, never listened to what people say about like their criticisms of certain things. Like I just follow my gut and I really love, Tyler, Matt, and Chad from Radio Silence, like, when I met them, I was, and again, people were like, don't touch that with a 10-foot pole, like, three directors, although Chad's, like, their producer, but they're, they're, like, a holy trinity, and, you know, so many people were like, don't do that, like, three directors, you'll go crazy, and I was like, I really, and I, I straight up asked them in my interview, I was like, how does this work, like, um, what am I walking into here, and I just, I just liked them and um that's kind of always been my mo is like i don't really care what other people say if i if i feel in my gut or my heart or whatever that i'm gonna hit it off with these people then i'm gonna do it so i did and i loved making that movie it was it was my goal going into that project was to just enjoy the process as much as possible and not care about the end product. And anytime I've gone into a project with that attitude is the time or the times rather that I've been the most proud of what I've done because it hasn't been about the end result. And I, I think the focus and attention to detail when I have gone with that method of filmmaking, it just turns out better. Wow, I would have never guessed that that was like the chatter uh, ahead of the scenes in the streets. Um, but obviously you took a chance and the reception for the movie seemed to have paid off. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, but but yeah, like one of the things. Okay, let's just talk about the wedding dress. Because it is just like a character of its own. Um, it is this item we're watching simultaneously being degraded as the character is going through this uh, game. Um, you know, Born by Grace, played by Samara Weaving, incredible performance. 
And so I just want to start at the very beginning of this dress, of the making of this dress. So how much was actually described in the uh, first script? It wasn't really. It was just like big, poofy wedding dress. I right. Think, in the... Okay. And what was then yep. the conversation behind the making of the original dress and then the different stages it goes through? Yeah, so... Uh, Tyler, one of the directors, really wanted to incorporate lace into the dress because um, it would show blood so well, the texture. And then I really wanted to incorporate tulle because I know how well tulle, which her skirt is made of um, rips. And also it, we kind of, it was like reverse engineering. We looked at the types of textures that would look really beautiful and kind of, um, distressed the thing the the types of fabrics that would that would look the most beautiful <laughs> and also that we could really trash and and get a lot of texture from on camera um but I also looked at Grace Kelly and Kate Middleton and because they're commoners who married into royalty and Grace's character it's they're not royal but it's it's elite yeah. similar it's a class system it's the, the movie is very much a statement on class so um i i wanted them to to have this you know i wanted to have that sort of representation with her um and i also wanted everything to be as long as possible so that you could kind of take as much as possible away from her so that's sort of where it all started and then her dress is actually not a dress it is a corset a lace top a, an overskirt an underskirt and a sash because we had 24 dresses total 17 for Samara 7 for her stunt and, oh my god <laughs> um Sam had to do really quick she's such a trooper that woman I just like just I don't know that any other actor would have been so go with the flow with what she went through in terms of like the cold and blood and um but we would have we would do quick changes on set with her so sometimes it would be like oh she actually just needs to change her top and so I separated all of the pieces that way so that she had the project had no money we wouldn't we would maximize the amount of time that camera would have with her based on being able to change efficiently on set. So that's sort of the story behind the dress. And then in addition to that, I'm really into oh, spreadsheets. not something you hear very often. Um, costume design is so much organization and so much financial management. And so I have spreadsheets for everything. It's, I've been like that since I was like in high school. Um, but when I got the job, yeah, the first thing I did was I uh, I went through the script. It's, I mean, it's what every costume designer does. It's called a script breakdown. So you go through the script, you figure out how many changes there are, you flay what happens to someone. And um, so I flagged every single thing that happened to Grace in the script. And then I broke down different phases of the dress. So within each phase would be several things that happened to the dress. And so we figured out the method of breakdown and aging and dying for the dress through that spreadsheet. And it also outlined to the producers who couldn't understand why it was so expensive, why we needed each item. Um, and that's the thing that I've found the older I get is, you know, the job is just math in a lot of ways. And so it's, you know, if you want to do X, Y, Z, this is why we need that money. And if you can show them that you usually they'll give you the money or they'll make the powers that be cut that scene <laughs> or that item. But um, yeah, that's sort of how it all came to be. And um, Alex Cavanaugh, the person who, the designer who I did my first short film or who I did it, I had done a short film before her, but I did that short film with her. She actually was the breakdown artist for this project and she did all the aging and dying for me, which was like a very full circle 
uh, moment for me. <laughs> yeah, and I think what people will realize if they really pay attention to the dress throughout the movie is just how much of an accurate representation it is for her in the stage that she is as a character, her character development. Um, not only because it's a very, you know, it's an active prop. She uses it, uses it as a weapon, she uses it as a bandage. It's this constant thing around her. It's not just something to make her not nude. It's, you know, an object. It's a prop. It's something she uses. Uh, but it's also being used against her because it's a very recognizable dress. And I think I, there's a point, you know, where she falls down and so, what do you call this stage? Like the goat dress? Yeah. Um, and, and it just gets, the dress gets slightly darker. It's so minimal. Um, it's not like it completely changes color. It's just a tonal shift. And that tonal shift happens within her too. It's like a, a the flip of a switch, you know, that really represents how degraded she has become and tribal. Her character is ripped down, torn, just like her dress. Yeah. Well, and I think also, like, in my spreadsheet, <laughs> what I did with the guys from Radio Silence is we, we flagged, because I had every single scene she was in in that spreadsheet, I was like, okay, guys, what's the, what's the like, there's a switch that happens in Grace. And I was like, what's that scene? Because I wanted... I want to show the switch over with her dress just straight up getting darker. Um, and it and it's not even like quote unquote dark. It's just like it's muted. It's the the life and the joy of the like purity of the white is completely taken out of it. And it's just like neutral. Um, and it's the goat carcass dress. <laughs> that's that's. When she falls in there and like, I don't want to spoil too much for anyone who hasn't seen it, but when she falls in into that environment and she comes out of that, that's her like, okay, I'm, I'm 100% done here and I just need to kind of fight for survival. And so the dress represents that in the shift we took with her. Totally, totally. It's just that tribal mentality of survival, basically. And then obviously you see fights even more, more is ripped, more blood is shed. And I want to ask, like, what is it like working with something where there's so much active action happening towards the costumes, you know, all the blood splatters and ripping for continuity reasons as well? Like, what, what, what's that like? It is, yeah, because you, well, for that, what we actually did was we pre-ripped because lace is really hard to actually rip. So what we did was pre-ripped them and then we would um we based stitched it back on so it would it would be challenging for Samara but not impossible uh basting means like a very for anyone who's listening doesn't know what it means it's like a very sort of poorly done hand sewing uh attachment method so it's it's together but uh, not permanent, I guess is the best way of describing it. So we would do that. Um, there is this scene where she rips her, like the skirt off for the first time. And what we actually did was um, I had, we had tons of extra tool from, cause we, you know, none of that breakdown happens like as she goes, it's all pre-done. So we had a ton of that. So I just sent a bunch to set and we had her in her already short skirt and with the camera work, we just, um, we made it with movie magic look like she was practically ripping it, but she, she was ripping pieces of the tool, but it wasn't like the actual skirt. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much blood splatter, just so much yeah. blood. We actually shot the ending where she's covered in blood on the first day. Oh, really? <laughs> we got we that and the wedding so it was like it was like zero to 100 damn i can't even imagine what that's like to act to go from like i mean it was freezing so i feel like sam at the end it served her the the, the weather conditions mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i mean it's just all these other details as well like her shoes her sneakers 
the fact that she changes into them because nobody, uh, no, no one uh, is running around in high heels. No one's doing that. Um, and so having that element uh, as well is just a very nice detail and also shows her character in this very not dressed up way. Yeah. Well, I really wanted something that, because I knew when she's running through that field at night, I wanted her to, um, I wanted, because generally speaking, when you shoot a scene at night and you want to actually see the actors, you put them in mid-tones or lighter colors. And so I specifically chose yellow because you'd kind of be able to track her little feet no matter how far or how close they were filming her. So that's sort of where that came from. And also I want like yellow represents optimism. And I, I think her character, she's an orphan who didn't like, who didn't come from anything. And there's a sense of optimism that is required for survival. And so I wanted those shoes to represent that. So that's sort of where that came from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, it's just this thing that got her through it. I don't think if she was running around in heels, it would have ended the same way. No, I was so relieved at how, I mean, I probably wouldn't have taken the job if we had a woman running around in heels in a field. Uh, and I mean, that's the other thing. I think it's just such a powerful dress in the way that it's used because you go from this marriage, uh, from this white, pure dress, almost this naivety, and then how she uses that as a weapon against the family she has married into. She The dress is destroyed just like her marriage is also, you know. Um, it's just the way she uses the dress and doesn't just... She's not a damsel in any way. She's actively thinking about everything she can possibly do. And I just... Ah, I just find it so impressive. And I can't even imagine, you know, the design process and then being on set. It must have been so much to keep track of, too. Oh, completely. Yeah, for sure. I was, well, and I, I think, I can't remember who it was. In an article, they just described the dress as a Swiss army knife. And I thought that was like the <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Describing it. What I loved about the project is, you know, marriage is such a, traditional patriarchal institution and she just completely disassembles that and then reappropriates that symbol as a tool for her which i just like love as a concept mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah i mean we just we love the functional dresses we love the dresses that actually work for the characters especially for the women because they so often don't and are not being taken into consideration, but we love to see that being done and considered and done so beautifully as well. Mm. So, so what do you think was your favorite part about this whole process? Would that be um, in the designing or the shooting of it? Um, hmm. I think actually just the process of designing her dress and having to problem solve and track it. Like for me, it was really, that project was really a masterclass for me in uh, aging, dying, continuity and breakdown. Like my agent at the time had always said, if you, if you do a genre film and it turns out well, that's how you can be really taken seriously as a costume designer, which I always didn't really understand. But after I did the project, I was like, yeah, you're right. Because, because you have to keep track of so many things and you have to keep track of continuity and blood and making sure you have enough multiples for stunts and so that the filmmakers can get what they want accomplished. You kind of learn to prepare for anything and everything and so now I'm acutely aware of having enough multiples when I source something you kind of a killjoy but at the same time it's like I don't I don't want to get married to a costume and a fitting that I can't actually use so I think that was my favorite part of it and also working with um Tyler Matt and Chad like those guys are you know you hear so many horrible things about working with certain directors and you know 
men in Hollywood. And those guys are really the exception to the rule and um, super collaborative and just wonderful people. And um, I would work with them 100 times over and we still talk all the time and um, they're just cool guys. And I think they're really like, they're amazing genre directors, but they're incredible comedic directors. And I think, um, I think they're gonna have a really long, fruitful career. And I hope that we get to do something together again. Our, our schedules keep unfortunately not aligning, but um, hopefully, hopefully the next one will work out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's also just always just great to hear about these collaborative moments of it. Um, so for filmmakers who might be listening or who aspire to be in this industry, um, particularly for writers and directors, what, what are some things you'd like them to understand and know about costume design, both the process of it? Because as we said, you know, it's a very underrated aspect of film, um, but also the role of the costume designer. Yeah, um, whew, that's a really good question. Um, I would say one part of it that I think is really interesting is the intimate role you have with the actors. Like I, to me, there's nothing more vulnerable and intimate than working with um, an actor and their body. Like we, we, they are probably the most objectified people on earth, particularly about their bodies. And there's a real vulnerability to that, um, which I take really seriously and I take into account and I um, try to be really supportive of. And so you've got this huge responsibility of making actors feel safe and supported and um, you're really an instrument in helping them bring their character to life because again, I say this all the time to people, but in the fitting room is where the character comes to life truly. And there's this amazing thing that happens sometimes. And it's like, you see this spark in the actor's eye and it's like a light bulb goes off of like how they're going to stand and how they're going to, how they carry themselves. And, you know, they use their clothing really as a tool um and you hash that out in the fitting and you become a bit of a liaison between them and the director of like oh the you know this actor said xyz i just want to pass this on to you like obviously i'm not going to get involved in your relationship but um you play a very important role in helping the actors bring who they're playing to life um so there's that and then also I take the color of the costumes that I work with really into um, account. Like I consider it kind of painting in a way, like you, you see your extras on camera. And for me, any, like everything from the extras to the leads, like I really take the composition into account. And so you're kind of bringing a painting to life in a lot of ways um, as a costume designer. And that comes down to communicating with the production designer and the cinematographer. Um, It's kind of like, for me, it's kind of like going to my arts high school all over again. I just get paid to do it, which is nice. And um, most of the time work with people I really love. And um, it's, it's super collaborative and it's, Um, you're challenged every single day with issues of function. And it's the thing that's different about fashion and costume design is, you know, you can just like clamp something in the back at a photo shoot to, um, to make it sit right. Whereas in film, everything serves as a, as a tool and a function. And so you have to really think everything through and it's, you know, you often put these outfits together, but you have to take into account, okay, if the actor wants to take off their jacket in this scene, the sleeves have to be perfect or you, you know, there's just so much to consider. And I, 
you have to be a very, very thoughtful person. And I've always been innately very thoughtful and also have anxiety. So the combination, I joke that having an anxiety disorder and working in a well-managed anxiety disorder and working in film actually really serves you because you think of everything that could possibly go wrong and prepare for it. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to think of yeah. it, yeah. So um, I joke that it's my superpower. <laughs> Yeah, I would I would say that's kind of a very long-winded answer of uh, how costume is kind of an underrated, interesting part of the process. Mm -hmm. And for people who are interested and might consider a career in in this field, what are some steps you would encourage them to take? Whether that be films to watch or courses. Um, I would I'm. I would take CAFCAD 101. Um, if you Google CAFCAD, it's C-A-F-T, CAFT, yeah, C-A-F-T-C-A-D. Um, and they teach these classes online and anyone can take them. You don't have to be Canadian. Um, so I would, I would take that. Um, and I would also watch as many movies as possible um and most cities have film festivals or organizations uh for young filmmakers and network with as many young filmmakers as possible that's what i did um in toronto there's a place called the cfc which is the canadian film center and it's, it's sort of a conservatory for uh filmmakers and so they do these sh they it's a, there's an actor, writer, director, producer program. And so they make short films quite frequently. And that was actually the, the short film I did with Alex Cavanaugh was a CFC film. And most people that I met on that project are extremely successful now and are still doing stuff. So if you can find an organization adjacent to that in your city or close to you, um, I would try to get involved that way. And also working at cost, if you want to do costume, working at a costume rental house is an incredible way to learn your period clothing and the different fabrics because the fabrics change a lot. Um, and obviously the silhouette, but also you will meet every type of costumer from designers to PAs. And it's such, it's such an industry of, of, Oh, I need, I need someone for X, Y, Z. Oh, I just met someone at the costume house who can do X, Y. It's such an industry based on like, who do I know? I need them ASAP. So working at a costume rental house is a great way as well. I mean, that's just great advice. And I think especially the focus on networking with directors and writers and producers rather than just other costume designers is really important and, and really good advice. Yeah. I think, yeah, the only in the past couple of years have I started really spending time with costume designers and I kind of regret it. I mean, I, I wish that I had done both because I was so focused on meeting like directors and producers and stuff like that. But it's, I've started really connecting with people over the past couple of years and it's so nice to be like, oh yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You know what it's like to do XYZ. Um, so I would, I would definitely network with both and just you know try to make friends with both because no one understands the industry unless they've worked in it um and also you get recommended for jobs from other designers when they can't do one i recommend my friends for stuff all the time right and then we have uh three short listener questions and one person asked what happens to the costumes after you're done filming uh it really depends on the project so Certain studios like Disney or Sony hold on to the costume. Um, Disney definitely has all the ready or not dresses. I get asked about it all the time. <laughs> People always want to buy them. And I'm like, I don't have them. I wish I did, but it's so they'll either go to a rental house or um, they'll, the project will have a set sale where you can buy stuff at the end or it'll go to auction. It depends on the budget of the film. Um, also, some projects you'll 
some projects are so big that what happens is you wrap the film, but then the the costumes will go into storage until what we call picture wrap happens. So if we need to do a reshoot, they still have access to the costumes. Um, and then after that, they'll either go to like Warner Brothers, who I just worked with, they have a, a massive costume rental house. And we had all of this incredible uh, 1980s clothing. And I'm doing a project right now that has the 1980s in it. And I was like, this is great. I'll just buy it all at the end, like the, the stock, not even the principal costumes. And they're like, no, nope, we want it all. And so we literally shipped crates of costumes to Los Angeles. And I was like, I just, it, it was so uh, sad for me because I was like, I can use this all. Um, uh, yeah, so it it really depends on the project and, you know, the lower budget stuff, sometimes the actors will work it into their deal that they, and not even on lower budget stuff, like sometimes actors just have it in their contracts, but lower budget stuff, they tend to not know that they won't be able to afford a reshoot. Um, and so they just sell it all off or they'll give it to you. It really, it there's no one linear answer for that. Right, sure. so we know where the dresses are then. Um, and Allison asked, is there a costume from any movie that you wish you could have? Grace is ready or not dress. Although I would never tell anyone I have it because the amount of people that ask me if they can buy it from me is, but yeah, probably Grace is ready or not dress. Yeah, that's the one, I just have this like very, um, very soft spot for that dress. Cause it kind of, that movie really changed my life in a lot of ways in my career. And um, that, that project really made me believe that I could actually do this as a job. Like, I think everyone has a little bit of imposter syndrome um, which I definitely still do. Like every project I'm like, can I actually do this? um the entire way through and then I do it um but for ready or not that really made that really gave me a lot of confidence because it was a jump project so that dress what which stage would you want it in oh. oh I want them all not every single dress, but I would want there's five stages so I would want the progression yeah yeah I love that just casually w walking down in like a bloody yeah, dressing <laughs> wedding dress and then Jamie asked, what project would you want to explore that's in any franchise or genre? I don't know if I, like, care to do a franchise. It's not really my speed. Um, I really want to work with A24. I haven't worked with them yet. And I would really love to do a period project set in probably the 50s or the 60s, kind of a talented Mr. Ripley style or a James Bond film. I grew up watching James Bond and I've always wanted to design a Bond movie, which might, so I guess it, that is a franchise. I guess. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see that. But it would have to have feminist undertone, which I don't know if. Maybe sometime in the future when we get that female James Bond. I mean, James Bond doesn't even have to be female. I, although I will say some of the earlier Bond girls, although they were like, objectified they were always um very smart women which we didn't really see at the time in film so james bond that franchise was a bit of a, a leader in that regard yeah yeah that's interesting i guess i've never really seen any m much of them at least um but for <laughs> good point i watched every single one over the pandemic <laughs> when it first hit i bought the box set with my boyfriend and we watched every single one in order i mean yeah that's that's commitment um so uh, just a little bit about your other recent projects you uh with the costume designer on netflix sex life um which is a lot more contemporary in its fashion style right uh and so obviously this here you have a main character who's kind of dealing with two different sides of herself this um home mother uh wife uh a bit more modest and then this nightlife uh persona she has in uh in composing those two sides of her was it rather 
um, kind of shopping and trying to find the right looks rather than designing them? Yeah, most of it was shopping. There were a couple things we built. We built her, she wears a pink dress in the, I think the last episode when she's on a motorcycle, we made that. Um, yeah, I kind of, I approached that, I kind of talked to this before of how I approach things with color. So her present life is very kind of sullen and pastel. And then her past life is very saturated and um, glittery, which I wanted I wanted that to feel like a memory. Um, and then as she kind of unravels in the season, you see the saturated tones come back. Um, but yeah, I what attracted me to that project is that you very rarely see on camera women who dress in several different ways who are one person and uh, who are one dimensional and are just like, they're either the whore or the maiden or the like there's no kind of in between and that's what I really liked about the project is you know she's this quote-unquote doting mother but she also loved to party at one point and um I think as women we hide parts of ourselves to be palatable for others and I think this project really displays that so that's um and that's sort of what I explored with the costuming of like this pure housewife, motherly kind of figure, and then this party girl. And then and then I kind of started to blend the two to show that, you know, it is one person. Yeah, that's definitely a, another great way to show character through costumes. And I think especially, you know, as you said, for, for women, um, there's so much more pressure and association as to what we wear and what signals that sends and the occasions and also just showing that we wear different clothes for different occasion and that that's normal and that we're multi-dimensional and that you don't have to be in one certain aesthetic all of the time it's really important but yeah i don't i don't think a lot of people really are like that where they can just stick to solely one thing and uh and yeah people can watch that on netflix but where can people find you and support your work uh, I'm on Instagram at, like, if you want to see my stuff, and I usually update that pretty frequently, it's just at Avery Pluis. And then I kind of check Twitter, but I'm not the greatest at it. <laughs> so if you have, if you want to reach out to me, DM me on Instagram. I'm, uh, trying to reform my Instagram addiction at the moment, uh, but I'm usually pretty, pretty on there um and i also have a website which has kind of my portfolio on it but it's not um doesn't have everything on there but i i, I try to update it pretty frequently um and then 8-bit christmas i i think is coming out later this year because it's a christmas movie so it'll be probably exciting time and then i'm working on a project right now with netflix again which i would imagine will come out next year but i have no idea Interesting, so, intriguing. Um, but yeah, most of my projects are on streaming platforms. Cool. Well, I'll make sure to link everything down below. And for anyone who's listening, is there a last message you'd like to give them? Um, yeah, I think if, I mean, this, this podcast is sort of directed towards women who work in Hollywood, right? Or who want to work yeah, in Yeah, film. in film. Yeah, so I think the thing that I've learned most in the past couple of years about navigating this industry as a woman is you're going to face a lot of misogyny and you're working in a patriarchal structure and system. But if you can't, you, you can't dismantle something if you're unwilling to face it. And so I think you want to see change you kind of have to face it head on and it's a really hard pill to swallow and i was really protected early on by working with really cool women coming up um and you know the more successful you get the different kind of uh you see different levels of colorful people and so i think you know that doesn't mean tolerate abuse by any means but um you kind of have to face it head on and be prepared for that um so yeah. 
Thank you for that. And uh, thank you for coming on and sharing all the bloody details. Yeah, totally. Anytime. Um, thank you so much for having me. If you would like to see more about women in the film industry, go follow us on Instagram at Making It Women in Film and check out our brand new website, womeninfilm.co.uk. We're posting lots of recommendations, reviews, discussions, statistics, all that good stuff. See you next week.